Hi, I'm Dr. Will Bostock from Cambridge Progressive Medicine. This podcast aims to assist you in taking control of your own health, well-being and happiness using a combination of Western medicine, psychotherapy, thought work and lifestyle. The podcasts are designed to be used in conjunction with working face-to-face with me, but I've made them freely available and you're welcome to listen to them independently. And if you do, I hope you find them helpful. If you would like to work directly with me, you can visit my website at www.cambridgeprogressivemedicine.com. Before I talk to you about movement, I want to set a ground rule. Don't make exercise into a moral issue. There was a reason for last week's episode on moralising, even if it may seem that this has nothing to do with health at all. Healthy lifestyles are a common thing to be turned into a moral issue. I saw an example of this just this morning when I was in the gym. I don't go to the gym that regularly, I don't enjoy being inside, and despite managing my mind, suffer a lot from compare and despair, which is a topic I'll be talking about later. If you've been doing your homework and listening to Kara, you will already know all about this. It is one of the many thought errors that it is easy to fall into, and I'm still working on it. Anyway, this morning I did go to the gym, and there was a guy who was always in the gym every time I go working out on the bench next to me. He was pretty ripped up, but I was actively managing my mind as I did my 10 kilogram bicep curls. Another fella came past and commented, it's busy today. Yes, he replied, too many New Year's resolutions. We'll just have to wait till February. And they both laughed in a rather self-satisfied way. This may not seem like a big deal, And you could say that I was being hypersensitive. They triggered my shame, which made me feel bad. I won't go as far as to say that they shouldn't have said it. You can see the trap here of counter-moralising. And I don't think what they said was hurtful or disrespectful, or that they caused me to feel bad. Other people don't cause our thoughts and feelings. Only we do. But it does highlight how we view these things as a society. The implication was that they were morally superior to the weak and fettling January gym-goers, that they had more right to be in the gym. But going to the gym is not a morally good thing to do. It doesn't serve anyone but yourself. It could be viewed by some as a pretty selfish and vain activity. Maybe the reason people aren't in the gym all the time is because they're doing something more productive. Of course, I don't believe this argument. Once again, it represents unnecessary moralising. What is more or less productive is also subjective. The bottom line is, people do what they think will bring them contentment, whether that's through pursuit of hedonistic pleasures or fulfilment of duty. The underlying goal is the same. It's just a different perspective on how we might achieve it. The issue with this kind of moralising is that we tend to believe it. 
unless you are actively managing your mind. Overhearing this conversation could be another nail in the coffin of your good intentions. We might look at these stacked up gym kings and think, yes, they are right. Who am I kidding? I'm a morally inferior wannabe destined to fail. This is not a good motivator. Again, you must recognise that the fault here is not primarily with their moralising, but with your own. You cannot control what other people think, feel and do, but you can control your own thoughts, feelings and actions. So with this in mind, I'm going to talk about the health benefits of movement, which is a less frightening and morally charged word for exercise. I want to talk to you about exercise without activating your shame, self-hate or fear of failure. I'm not going to say that you should get more exercise. It is not moral. You are not a better person if you exercise and a worse person if you don't. The motivation for exercise is purely selfish. The reason I recommend exercise to my patients is because it feels amazing. Humans are designed to move, and if we don't, our bodies and minds don't run as well as if we do. Just like cars don't like sitting for years without being driven. But once we've fallen into a pattern of not moving around too much, it can be painful to get moving again. Just like the car trying to turn over with rusty pistons after six winters standing in the drive. The best thing I can tell you about exercise is that any movement is good. You don't have to go to the gym five times a week or run an Ironman to benefit from exercise. And actually, there is an argument that excessive competitive training can actually be fairly detrimental to health. As always, everything is about balance. Anything, even supposedly healthy things like exercise, can be used to excess normally as part of a harmful coping strategy aimed at avoiding our demons. The benefits of exercise have been clearly documented with lots of scientific studies, showing improvement in length of life, reduction in diabetes, heart disease and strokes, even reduced risk of cancer, and multiple benefits on mental health, with reduced levels of depression and anxiety. For me, though, I really don't care that much about these studies. We love scientific studies, but we don't always need them. In general, external evidence is not a very good motivator. This is why people still smoke, even though they know the health risks. If your motivation for exercising today is a reduced chance of diabetes in 10 years, or an extra few years in the nursing home, it may not seem an immediate priority when we have so many other things competing for our time and attention. The same goes for the aesthetic benefits. For a lot of us, the motivation for exercise is the way we look. I have spent many hours of my life, somewhat unsuccessfully, trying to get ripped, because I thought it would make me feel bigger and better. Whilst this is okay, again it is often not a great motivator. The problem is that trying to get a film star physique is massively time-consuming and doesn't really lend itself to balance and well-being. Most of us simply don't have the time 
the bodies we aspire to are not actually normal human bodies at all, but are the result of months of dedicated training. Because of compare and despair, the look we can obtain in the time we have available is unlikely to match up to these expectations, and we may lose our motivation as our goal seems out of reach. Increasingly, I've started to realise that it's just not worth it to me. There have been times where I've been closer to how I thought I wanted to look, and it did feel good, but the time it took wasn't really worth it. There are other things that I'd rather be doing with my time. For this reason, I'm not sure before and after type pictures and videos you often see on social media are that helpful at motivating us, and there is a risk that we will just feel more shame. That someone else has achieved their goal when we were incapable. What may be better than massive change is small changes that can be sustained and become daily habits. The real motivation for exercise is not living longer, avoiding diseases, looking better or being morally superior. It is simply that it feels great. Right now, today, you will feel better if you move about a bit than if you don't. It is not the no pain, no gain, delayed gratification scenario that it is sometimes made out to be. You just need to find some time in your day to get your heart rate up a bit, or play a social sport that you enjoy, or get out into nature, and you will feel happier, enjoy your food more, be more in touch with your spirituality, have less aches and pains, feel more alert and energetic, be more productive and sleep better. In short, your life will be better. Looking more attractive, not getting diabetes and living a bit longer are merely favourable side effects. They are not the goal. The exercise is its own reward. You don't need a scientific study to convince you of this. All you need to do is take a walk on the beach in the woods or down by the river and observe how you feel. I suppose I've been lucky in a way because for me, exercise has always felt good, even while I'm actually doing it. But I know that this is not true for everyone. My sister tells me that for her, going out for a run is thoroughly unpleasant at the time. She still feels all the benefits once it has become part of her routine, but it makes it much harder to sustain. What I would say about this is you never regret it. When I lived in New Zealand, we used to swim in the sea all year round. To be honest, it was not that warm, and I didn't have a wetsuit. In the winter, it could sometimes be hard to get in. You might even call it unpleasant. But once I'd been out to the boy and back, I never once regretted it. Because we are not going to worry about living longer or being more beautiful, but only feeling great, we can focus on finding the type of movement that works for us. Whilst my sister struggles with running, she absolutely loves being out on a horse. We don't need to worry about the degree of the health benefit, if it is vigorous enough or if it is morally the right type of exercise. Instead, I recommend you find some movement that works for you, that you can fit into your daily schedule and that you enjoy doing. 
If these criteria are not met, it is unlikely that it will be sustained and become part of your daily routine. If we set ourselves impossible goals, there is a risk that shame of failure will mean we give up completely and we may end up doing nothing at all. Although it should never be a competition, and I'm not a huge fan of setting targets that we can beat ourselves up for missing, there are some guidelines on the amount of exercise it is recommended that we get each week. I think this can be helpful so long as we don't get too hung up on it. It is, after all, simply made up by humans. It is not a commandment from God. The target should be thought of as a rough guide on the amount of exercise that gives the maximum benefit in feeling awesome. As with everything, there is a law of diminishing returns. The guidelines tell us where the sweet spot is for most people, where we can get the maximum benefit for the minimum effort. This will, of course, be different from person to person, and you will find your own sweet spot over time. The other reason the guidance is helpful is that because of the way our society is structured, we tend to lead very sedentary lifestyles. Just like with sleep, if left to chance, it is likely that we'll be getting far less exercise than we need to feel great every day. The targets just help to remind us of this. It is recommended that adults should do some type of physical activity every day and aim to do at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity activity every week. In addition, we should do muscle strengthening activities at least two days a week. Moderate intensity activity means our heart rate and breathing rate increases, but we are still able to talk. An example might be hiking or riding a bike gently. During vigorous activity, we are too breathless to talk much. Examples might be running or aerobics. There is loads more details on these targets, with some recommendations on how you can meet them, along with some links to some free workout videos on the NHS website, and I'll post the link to this. It is very easy to fall into a pattern of doing barely any exercise at all. Even though I enjoy lots of different types of exercise, if I'm not mindful of it, I can easily go for weeks without doing any. Working as a GP is sedentary, mentally exhausting, and can involve long hours. The same is true for many jobs and lifestyles in modern society. There are some things which I have found helpful in trying to work movement into my daily routine, so I get to feel the benefits of exercise while still meeting my other commitments. As with all of this lifestyle advice, it is not earth-shattering news. It is simply about being mindful, prioritising and living with intention. One piece of advice that I have found to be helpful is to avoid convenience. Our modern lives are geared up for convenience. You could live for months without getting out of your chair, working, socialising, shopping and ordering food online. We have machines that do much of our manual labour, dishwashers, washing machines, hoovers, cars and electric scooters. Some days, I barely do a hundred steps the entire day. 
I walk from my front door to the car, park at the surgery, sit all day consulting, and then drive home. If we can avoid some of this convenience, we can work some movement into our daily lives. For example, I will often walk to call patients from the waiting room, rather than using the tannoy. At one practice I work in, rather than having a coffee break, all the doctors take a walk, doing laps around the staff car park. We can stand, rather than sit. Take the stairs, instead of using the lift. Go to the shops, rather than shopping online. Where possible, we can walk or cycle, rather than drive. If we must use the car, we can park in the furthest possible parking space. This has the added benefit of reducing the chances of getting your car dinged. All of us have got used to trying to park as close as possible to the door. It really doesn't save you any time. Actually, it can be slower, because you often have to queue to get in and out of these premium spaces. Parking at the far end of the car park is surprisingly tranquil by comparison. Just through these small simple steps, we can massively increase our movement. There is exercise to be had in all kinds of unexpected places. Gardening and housework are forms of exercise. Three hours of gardening is thought to burn the same number of calories as an hour in the gym. Playing with your kids, grandkids or pets is a form of exercise. We can increase the benefit of these activities by dancing while cooking, lunging whilst doing the hoovering, or doing squats when cleaning our teeth. This kind of stealth exercise is a good way of increasing your movement, despite a hectic schedule, and may be enough to fulfil the recommendation that you should do at least some exercise every day. For me, this general jigging about during routine activities, whilst oddly satisfying, is not in itself enough to give me all the immediate daily benefits of movement. And I find the best way to achieve this is by adding in some dedicated time for exercise. What works for each person will be different and will also change as your circumstances change. When I was in New Zealand, it consisted of swimming in the sea, hiking in the mountains and riding incredible single track almost every day. Now that I live and work in Cambridge, this isn't really an option. In addition, a year ago, I picked up a calf injury, which has restricted what I'm able to do. But none of this means that I'm unable to enjoy exercise. For all of us, our situation will continually change. We may start a family, be working longer hours, move to the city, or have a long commute. We get older, fatter, and slower. We pick up injuries and develop aches and pains. When this happens, it is very easy to stop exercising and doing many of the other things that we used to enjoy. People often tell me stories like, well, I used to play a lot of football, but then I started working on Saturdays, so I stopped doing it. As we go through life, we must constantly adapt to our changing circumstances. And to do this effectively, we need to live purposefully and with intention. I know that if I'd sustained my injury five years ago, before I knew about managing my mind, I would have been far more distressed by it. But this distress would have had no impact on what I could or couldn't do. 
or do anything to speed my recovery. By actively managing my mind, I've been able to be more peaceful, although I'm not sure that my partner would entirely agree. I won't pretend I haven't done any complaining at all, but then she doesn't know how bad it could have been. Instead of focusing on what I can't do, I've been thinking about what I can do. Everything that happens to us is an opportunity to learn new things about ourselves, about other people and about the world. When one door closes, every cloud. In the past, I've enjoyed running. I like it because it requires no equipment and no planning. You can just put on your trainers and go out the front door. For a time, I got really into running with my dog. I had a special harness for her, a harness for me, and a bungee leash. It's called Caney Cross, and if you have a dog, I can't recommend it highly enough. You can use sled dog commands and run like the wind. Working together with the dog gives an amazing connection, and it feels incredible. She loved it, and so did I. Since I've been injured, I've had to slow down a lot. What I've been doing instead, which I'd really recommend if you have not done much running before, is Couch to 5K. Couch to 5K is an NHS running app that is free to download and helps you to get going with running. I've been doing it with my partner and I've really enjoyed it. It paces you so that you don't go too fast and is really encouraging. During the walking sections, you are meant to be able to talk and we have found it a great time to catch up with each other's days. Doing something like Couch to 5K with a partner or a friend is a really good way to get into doing some regular exercise. This social side to exercise is another area where we can maximise our enjoyment of movement, making it into a treat to look forward to rather than a chore to endure. There are loads of opportunities for social exercise. Sports teams, running clubs, exercise classes, boot camps and even adult playground games. A great example of this is Parkrun. I read an article last year in which the founder of Parkrun explained that the thing he was most proud of was that the average finish times have got slower every year. This means that more and more people were getting involved. If you fall into a pattern of not exercising, for whatever reason, I'd really recommend having a look at what is going on in your local area and thinking about getting involved. You could even think about taking up a new hobby or learning a new skill. My mum, who is 71, was living in Australia until recently, where she was a member of an over-65 surfing group. Now that she's back in the UK, there is not much surfing to be had, so she's enrolled in ice skating lessons. Something that I have really started to enjoy, that I never thought would be for me, is yoga. A few years ago, I looked at yoga with disdain, projecting my subconscious worldview with all its unintentional moralising. I thought, how can sitting around on the floor be considered exercise when you could be hurtling down a mountain? If you have never tried yoga, I would urge you to give it a try. The great thing about yoga is it is both exercise and meditation. It really helps me to connect with my spirituality, to feel calmer, more grounded and balanced. Plus it gives me the same great feeling 
as other forms of exercise. The other great thing about yoga is that like running, you don't need any special equipment, and you can do it at home. It is very easy to slot it into your schedule and requires much less activation energy than going to the gym. Despite actively working on managing my mind, I am still a little self-conscious, and my downward dog is horrible. I don't think I'd feel confident going to a yoga class. Instead, I use Yoga with Adrian on YouTube. There are over 500 freely available videos, starting from very basic beginner sessions. Adrian is amazing. There is a reason she has over 6 million followers. She is incredibly encouraging for people of all abilities. Start slowly and makes a deep spiritual experience fun and not at all pretentious. She puts you at ease and her videos give me a sensation of lightness and hope. I think I might actually love her just a little bit. All you need is a mat, which you can get for a few pounds, and you are good to go. In the summer, I was doing it in my back garden, which was even better, because you get to be outside too. With so many videos, it may seem daunting getting started. What I did was do a 20-minute beginner's video over and over again. It is easier when you know what's coming up, and you don't need to keep looking at the screen. And for me, it took some of the pressure off. In the past, if ever I took up a new sport or hobby, I wanted to rapidly progress, to be better and faster, and I'd get frustrated if I wasn't progressing as fast as I thought I should, and disillusioned when encountering people who are better than me that I thought I would never match up to. I think these thought patterns are quite natural in our society, where sport is often competitive and we revere the fastest and best. But I suspect for many people, it is not always a great way to view exercise. And certainly for me, it could be demotivating, reducing my enjoyment of movement. Learning how to enjoy sport and movement without making it competitive, without compare and despair, enjoying it for its own sake, for the benefit it affords me on a personal and spiritual level, has been a wonderful experience. This leads me to the final thing I want to say about movement. Each of us have formed an opinion of the type of person we are. This is part of our worldview and makes up our personality. It represents how we think of ourselves, how we define ourselves, and also how we believe other people perceive us. We may think of ourselves as athletic or sedentary, driven or chilled out. We look at others and see them as lazy or sporty, as a gym bunny or an extreme bean. We don't just observe these traits, but we moralise them, at once judging and comparing ourselves to others to see if we match up. These beliefs about the type of person we are can be a major barrier to making positive change in our lives. If we believe ourselves to be a certain way, if we define ourselves by our habits as unfit or overweight, as a smoker or a drinker, we will never be able to change. But as we have already discussed, there is no such thing as personality. You can be anyone you want to be. If you can learn to understand your thoughts, feelings and actions. If you can understand where these have come from, that you are not to blame for them 
but you are responsible for them. If you can learn to truly love yourself, to have real compassion for yourself, then you will get to choose to be any kind of person you want. Just because you're a certain way today does not mean you need to be the same way tomorrow, if you don't want to be. If this seems unlikely to you, I recommend going back and listening to episode 12. So your homework this week is to have a think about your movement. Are you getting enough to give you balance in your life? If not, how can you get more in a way that is beneficial, enjoyable and sustainable for you? Think about avoiding convenience. Think about taking up a new sport, joining a new group or learning a new hobby. Think about downloading Couch to 5K or trying out some yoga with Adrian. I will post the link for these and some other further reading on my website and Facebook page. Thank you.